0: much. I'm so grateful to be before you. Um, how do you follow that, though? I got to do somewhat okay, I guess. Um, but no, um, Christ, it's just so good to be before you. Wonderful day. Thank you for the leading us into worship through music, through prayer. Thank you for the display of humility. Uh, As we've been led to introspect our hearts and acknowledge that we fall short. uh, But we have a a strong savior for we who are weak saints. And uh, so just wanted to let you know that uh, I won't be before you long. Uh, When he told me how much time I have, I I asked that late. Um, When I heard how long I had, I was downcast in spirit. Especially after wallowing in the text he assigned me. It is so rich, uh, especially the text and its implications. But we're going to trust the Lord. Uh, Father, we just thank you. We are your people uh, because you determined it to be so. Uh, If there's anyone in here who is not in Christ, uh, we pray that uh, news of this glorious one that you sent out of love, the one who is victorious, that, that he would capture their hearts and draw them into the fold and... That we, by our representation of you, would not be a turnoff, but rather a lure that they can find a place within the redeemed, the people of God. Thank you for the leadership and this invitation to allow me to co-labor with the church. And now do work for the sake of Christ. In his name we pray. 19th century English Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, is noted to have said, Adam fell, therefore, lean not on his sons. Adam fell, therefore, lean not on his sons. He said that as a comment to Psalm 146, 3, which reminds us, Put not your trust in princes and a son of man where there is no salvation. We're told by the psalmist, don't trust people. Don't even trust exalted and elevated people. They're just men in whom there is no salvation. And it's there that in our day and age, we can actually resonate with that. The distrust, it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter who has the power it doesn't matter who's got the position it seems like no one is really worthy of our trust aka our praise well Luke 4 gives us an exception to the rule Luke 4 introduces us to a son of man the son of man in whom there is salvation and we can trust him he demonstrates himself to not be like the first Adam Even though he is considered the last Adam, this is the one who did bring salvation, and he is utterly worthy of our trust and our praise. Luke is the one that tells us that this son of Adam is truly human, even though he is also truly divine. He tells us that at 12 years old, okay, the one who was from ancient of days was at one time 12? Yes, because he was truly human. And at 12, he let us know that he was conscious of the fact that he was Messiah. But it's not until this text here that we see that he is now 30 and he's coming on the scene having been fully anointed and having been appointed to come on the scene and fulfill what he came to earth to do, the Messiahship. This text is about the God incarnate who embraces his full humanity and we get him right after he hears God affirm him Right after he comes up and he is clothed with power, right after he now has in the affirmation of messianic position, and he comes on earth to say, I am both Christus Victor, Christ, the one who is victorious. And this text will also show us that he's also thereby Christus Exemplar, the Christ we can follow. This temptation, the temptation for us is to gloss over this text and think about our temptations and to think about how we can accomplish victory in our temptations. But first and foremost, this is about a unique temptation, a a temptation that's unlike ours, a temptation that establishes Jesus as the one who comes not to take sides, but the one who comes to take over, in the words of Pastor Tony Evans. This is firstly, if you don't get anything else, just get that when you read about the temptation of Jesus, don't make a beeline to how you can successfully do your temptations. That's coming. He is our example. But first, marvel at the Lord Jesus and this stunning victory that he shows us. It's one thing to have victory as a 12-year-old boy who hasn't lived yet, who hasn't been exposed yet, who hasn't been dangled the the places of privilege and power. It's another thing to hear God say you're my man it's another to receive the power he comes in the fullness of the Holy Ghost and still remains faithful that son of man that you can trust so in this text let's read it and then let's unpack it Luke chapter 4 1 to 13 and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan And was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. opportune time Christ Christus Victor and Christus exemplar this text is all about what kind of Messiah do we have on our hands what kind of Messiah would he be he's been baptized he's been affirmed now he's about to hit the ground running but what happens before he hits the ground running he's tested What will he do when he is confronted with the earthly wants, since he is actually human? But what happens when the earthly wants clash with the divine will? What will he do? What would he be marked by? Compromise or unwavering commitment? Would he trust the Father's way and submit to the cross or manipulate the Father's will to avoid it? Here we already see from the beginning of the text that Jesus is like Adam and Jesus is like Israel, but he is the new and the better Adam and the new and the better Israel. We hear about one who was in the wilderness. You remember that Israel was in the wilderness and there they were tested by God to expose them to see if they were made of the right stuff. Deuteronomy 8, I caused you to go hungry to test you so you would know what was in your heart. Here we see for 40 days you hear the number 40 and you think about 40 years and you're thinking about Israel yet again. Tempted by the devil, you think about Adam in the garden and Adam and Eve being tempted by the devil. We see here these parallels and these connections to both Adam and Israel. Both of them call sons of God in the scriptures. And now the son of God, who's been affirmed as the son of God, gets his crack at it. He gets to, to take on the enemy who has been successful in the first Adam and was successful with the original Israel. Adam, it's been said, turned a garden or a paradise into a wilderness. And now this last Adam comes to take the wilderness and begin to turn it back into the garden of God. Israel was in that wilderness. They get tested. Jesus says, I want the smoke. The text says he comes in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He's not passively being overtaken by temptation. He's not minding his business like, oh, temptation? Okay. You know, I wasn't really planning this today, but sure, let's go. No. He initiates the conflict. He comes on the scene stomping. He's not passive. He's active. He's coming to do what the scriptures said. I'm coming to destroy the works of the evil one. And hell is going to fight back. And hell is going to oppose not only Jesus' person, but particularly Jesus' purpose. What kind of Messiah do we have on our hands here? What is he here to accomplish? If I had his power, if I had his position, if I had his privilege, then I would use it for me. Like Evan Almighty, if you've ever seen that crass film about a God who's really a man. And what does he use his godlike powers to do? Bring the moon closer so he can have a hot date. (laughs) Make his hot date look more like he desires. Move cars so he doesn't have to struggle with parking. Oh, we saw an example of what would happen if the wrong Messiah was Messiah. (laughs) Is that the kind of Messiah we have here? No, he comes on the scene to demonstrate that when he is... Confronted with these things, he will respond differently. Satan is coming at him. But John says he came to destroy the works of the devil and this is what we see. Oh, that great songwriter, a mighty fortress is our God. It was right when he said that we have a foe, an ancient foe who does seek to do us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal until this moment in this moment the exception to the rule he's in the wilderness 40 days it says being tempted the temptation we see comes at the climax but he's been tempted all throughout the 40-day period and it says he ate nothing, and when they ended, he was hungry. In other words, the devil knew to come at him at a point of, a point of great weakness. The first Adam fell at the point of maximum lavishness, and the, the point where he was most full. And yet this Adam loves to stack the decks, deck against himself. God loves to get glory by making it even more difficult than you and I would face so that we could know that we have a victor in him. You remember, he comes and he says, I'll wait till I'm hungry. It's bad enough for you to tempt me when I'm not hungry. But you're tempting me when I'm hungry. Bad enough to tempt me when I'm hungry because I haven't eaten in 40 hours. How about after 40 days? He comes at his weakest point, his lowest point, his most vulnerable point. He ate nothing, the Bible says, and he was hungry. Why? Of course, let us know he's hungry. You know why? To emphasize, this is why the appeal will be so great. Muhammad Ali has been reported as saying when he was on a plane, the person came to him and said, excuse me, Mr. Ali, would you buckle your seatbelt? He said, well, Superman don't need a seat belt. The lady said to Ali, yeah, Superman don't need an airplane either. Buckle your seat belt. (laughs) This is the one who is God, and yet he embraced needing a plane and a seat belt, as though it were. He's hungry, for real, for real. And so it is there that he... Is confronted with the devil's first temptation. The devil said, verse 3, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Seems innocent enough. There's nothing wrong. Jesus is going to multiply food for the hungry. So, what's wrong here? What the devil is actually saying is, do you. Be the kind of Messiah that will do you. Use the powers of sonship to self satisfy. Use your power independent of your purpose. Use your power for what you want to do. Jesus always did miracles. Never primarily for himself. Think about yourself, he says, and the incompatibility of you being the son and you being hungry. The question, what will he do now that he is confronted with the earthly want as it clashes with The divine will. It says that he not only was full under the control of the spirit, but he was led to the wilderness by the spirit. In other words, him embracing hunger wasn't just because he was trying to demonstrate he's pious. This was God's will for him. Just like it was for Israel, I caused you to go hungry so you know what was in your heart, to expose you. God wanted to expose this son as the one who was like the old Israel but better, the one who would not give in to temptation. So he had to be hungry. So the devil says, come on, stop all this hunger stuff. And the Lord Jesus looks at him and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, man is not driven just by what he wants. Man is not driven just by what he physically craves. Man is driven primarily if they're in Christ and they're submitted to the Father by the will and the word of God. It is written, the sword of the spirit of Ephesians 6:17. it is written, he says, quoting from Deuteronomy 8, God says that we ought to know how to not be just. Moved by our physical appetites. You know, right now the Lord Jesus could complain that this is the will of God for him that he be hungry. Like Israel did. He could be complained or he could be compliant. What if he dies from hunger? The Lord Jesus had to trust that the father was not leading him to death. But even if unto death he would be obedient even to death. The devil wanted the Lord Jesus to think about himself and choose self-satisfaction over obedience well that one didn't work so he moves on and then the devil took him up verse 5 and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him to you i will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and i will give it to whom i will if you then will worship me it will be all yours The word here in the Greek is not the word cosmos, which just speaks about everything. It's about the inhabited world. And it sort of correlates with the fact that he showed them the world of men, the world of powers, the world of people, the exalted ones. It was a word that often talked about the Roman Empire, because at that time it was believed that the Roman Empire dominated the world. So here's the question. Would he be marked by compromise... A little bit of worship to the devil in order to get what most people seek after, power and position, the worlds and their glory, or commitment? Would he choose instant elevation rather than ultimate glorification? Would he want to obtain his crown having never gone to the cross? Would he gain the world and thereby forfeit his ability to save souls? This is what Satan is talking about. Satan says, I have power. The Bible calls him the God of this world. The Lord Jesus talks about him. He is the ruler of this age. And yet Jesus knows something. He knows that according to Psalm 2, the father has already said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession." The question is, am I going to get it from God who makes me wait, or am I going to get it from Satan who will give it to me now? There's a temptation here to get legitimate things illegitimately, to get ultimate things immediately. There's the temptation. He offers us what's reasonable. He doesn't say kill someone. He says, get what's yours. But I can give it to you right now. The Lord Jesus came to get the world's back. He came to get the nations for himself. Satan offers him what he's already promised. Just he'll do it for a little bow. Remember what he told Eve? Eve. Come on, you'll be like God. We just heard they were made in the image of God, that they would be like him. They already were like God. So why did he dangle before them? You could be like God. You could be like God in the ways that he has determined that you won't be like him. (laughs) Jesus responds, verse 8. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil is both intelligent but also irrational. Because it's God's man and man's God, the Lord Jesus knew that the only one to be worshipped is God himself. I love the, the the throne scene in Revelation where everyone, the 24 elders, they're all down. The exalted beings, they've got, I mean, we've got lion's heads and leopards and we've got eyes everywhere. And we got all these people are bowing down. And the only one not bowing is him who sits on the throne and the lamb. There's no mention of Jesus in the revelation scene bowing to God. You know why? Because he is God. Oh, let's go. I only got a few more minutes. He says worship. God says, I I made you to worship. And worship according to the New Testament sense of the word is us on the altar romans 12 2 which says be living sacrifices one and two which says that we are to be conformed to the world we ought to present our bodies living sacrifices us dead to self and alive because a sacrifice is usually dead so in one way we're dead to ourselves independence from god our own will and our own way our own timing But we're living sacrifices. That means we're alive. We're alive to him, his will, his way, his timing, his purposes. The Lord Jesus says, I am a worshiper. (laughs) I worship the only one who deserves the worship. Which means right now I won't take kingdoms from you and I won't make bread out of stone for me. Right now I am on God's plan, God's timing. Oh, that didn't work. Verse 9, and he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, of course, he's crafty. He's sort of catching on. Oh, you're one of the Bible guys. <laughs> That's it. I better use the Bible for you because you like the Bible. It is written, uh uh-huh. And you probably are into Jerusalem, huh? Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to Jerusalem and let's open our Bibles, Jesus. You know, in Luke's gospel, Jerusalem is the climax. Now, Matthew has the same temptation account, but Jerusalem is not the, the last temptation. In Luke, Jerusalem is because everything is about Jerusalem. In chapter 9 he's going to say, and Jesus set his face like flint to Jerusalem. And now we got all these 20 some chapters. I mean, you got out of the 24 chapters, you have this long stretch. They call it the travel narrative of Jesus going to Jerusalem. Everything he does is with Jerusalem is in mind. So, the, so Satan says, let's go to Jerusalem. I know you went to Jerusalem. Let's go. Let me take you and let me take you to the pinnacle and let me give you an idea. Why don't you go to Jerusalem and do the spectacular So that you don't have to do the scandalous. (laughs) Do the spectacular. And the temptation is would Jesus trust the Father's way of the cross or would he manipulate God, test God, put him to the test, make God do something that God wasn't planning on doing so he could avoid all of that and get the messianic exaltation and embrace from men without the cross. Would he be recognized as Messiah through an act of the spectacular or the scandalous? Would he be embraced as a king by people because he did something that wowed them without the cross? Would he accept the path of humiliation to exaltation or immediate elevation? Hmm. Well, the Lord Jesus yet again defeats him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Quotes from Deuteronomy 6, don't test, don't manipulate, don't distrust God and then come up with your own way he can prove his faithfulness to you. Don't say, I know what you said, Lord, but here's an equally viable way for you to get glory from me. He embraced the scandal of the cross as the way to be received as Messiah or be rejected by Messiah, either or. Satan basically said, make a name for yourself and do it this way rather than that way. You can get with this or you can get with that. Okay, some of y'all know about that. Luke four thirteen. The Lord Jesus has rebuffed his last attack. 13 says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, we believe that Satan had been tempting the Lord Jesus. Through the 40 days he had been tempting the Lord Jesus. And afterwards he would show up periodically to personally tempt the Lord Jesus. We know that eventually he had to tell Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, because Satan was using Peter to discourage him from going to the cross. How about in the garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating drops of blood asking God, if it's at all possible, take the cup from me. And then he went out to his prayer partners and saw them, saw them on the ground sleeping. He said, why don't you pray? Lest you fall into or enter into temptation. No doubt Satan was in the garden. But Jesus demonstrates himself to be Christus Victor. He defeats Satan. He exposes Satan. And he declares a new king is on the scene. And this king is the king of kings. A new Adam is here. And this is the last Adam. Won't be need for another. There is a son of man, and only in the name of Jesus is there salvation. He is the victor, and therefore, because he is our victor, the one who gets the victory, he is our exemplar. He is our example, and he does give us the blueprint for how we ought to address, address uh, uh, temptations. We ought to address it in the fullness of the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit. We ought to address it with the sword of Spirit, using the Word and letting God's Word trump our own feelings and our own em- emotions. We ought to prioritize the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the Living God, the exaltation of Christ, other than our own convenience or our own, uh, uh, our own tribes or our own families, our own wills, our own way. We ought to be committed to his will. We ought to pursue God's will, God's way. We ought to use God's word in order to address our world. Will Perdue, you may not have heard of Will Perdue unless you're a Chicago Bulls fan from the 90s. Or a San Antonio Spurs fan. But Will Perdue was a basketball player. Never amounted to much than a backup center over a 13-year period, he averaged four points and four rebounds. I mean, if you're a center, seven-foot center, in over 13 years, your average is four points and four rebounds, you're not much to talk about. Yet Will Perdue got on the Bulls team when they had a string of three-peats, that, that first string of three-peats, that second string, actually. So he got three championship rings for being on a team of the victorious. And then he after they ended, he was immediately traded to the San Antonio Spurs. And that year they won. (laughs) He got another ring. In other words, Will Perdue sat on the sidelines and developed rings of victory. Not because of what he had done, (laughs) but because of the work of another. Today, Luke chapter 4 reminds us that The Lord Jesus came and he accepted the bruised heel even as he crushed the serpent's head. He would ultimately go on to do this most finally on the cross. And he would get up in the resurrection, brush his blazer off and say, see, I told you. I told you this back when we first met. (laughs) And right now he is your victor. So if you don't know him. There is no one else to cast your lot with. There's no one to put your trust in. There is no one that you should worship and praise like this one. Because he is the victor. He is our example. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. Minister to us. Help us to appreciate our exalted Christ. Truly producing us a desire. A desire to obey and serve him. And if anyone is in here attracted to the Savior right now, draw them, bring them, save them. In Jesus' name.